0: the party Hello everyone and welcome to episode 17 of the pdH Pod, the one and only Magic the Gathering podcast dedicated to the total exploration of the Pauper Commander format. I am your host Brad Drack V and let's see what my co-hosts from the East Coast are up to this evening. First, Dave the Alcadron Vader. How's it going? Things are going really well. Uh, am I allowed to do shameless self-serving plugs here? Absolutely, for 10 cents. Perfect. 10, ten, ten cent- cents. A okay.
1: Plug. I'll 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 venue, Venmo you the 10 cents. Solid. Uh I am super excited this week because tomorrow I'm going to an event called Otherworld which Everyone should check out, because uh, I was a participant seven years ago, and it is still, like, more or less the best weekend of that decade. So, uh... Wow, that is a bold... You should all look into it. It's called Otherworld. You can get some information at otherworld.org. It happens... If you're listening to this, it's probably happening right now, and you're missing it. Right. But (laughs) next year, you can get involved, and you should.
0: So listen to this if you're driving there. Yeah
1: definitely do that
0: yeah it looked pretty cool you sent me the uh the info and the link and that looked pretty bad yeah i'm i'm super excited it's gonna be a good time yeah absolutely looks like it all right next up is our resident pdh phd liam how are you doing i'm doing all right this week brad how about you i am doing pretty well worked on my cube a little bit well actually quite a bit worked on my cube updated that a lot uh finished off two paper pdh decks and just sort of hung out Played some PDH on stream last night. That was good. It was yeah. good. You know, same old, same old. Absolutely. What do you got for us? Uh,
2: this week in Magic, there's been a uh, couple of things that have happened. For those who were up to date on the latest uh, WotC Kerfuffle, Magic 30, the event, has updated <laughs> its cosplay contest prize structure, uh, so it's no longer top prize being a $200 gift card. Yeah, there's, being an yeah, embarrassment. There's, there's now cash involved, yeah. and uh, they have defined what the later event passes look like as well as have thrown in hotel rooms for those events uh, so that's awesome
0: mm-hmm. yeah and it's a decent amount of cash prizes too uh, like yeah. there was nothing and then all of a sudden there's like five or six thousand dollars yep. on the yep. line
2: it's 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 a lot of money i think first first prize gets like three that three thousand dollars plus the gift cards. still i guess they already bought them <laughs> oh, and <wow>. uh <laughs> the event passes uh so yeah that's awesome The Unfinity spoilers concluded today, but more on that next week. We won't be spoiling any of our thoughts or ideas about Mm -hmm. them. And speaking of spoilers, supposedly, because spoiler season never ends, we're supposed to be getting sneak peeks (laughs) at Brothers War on uh, this coming Thursday during the weekly MTG stream, which would be, for those of you listening, today is Friday, uh, so that would have been yesterday. That's only a rumor I I saw. I'm I'm not entirely sure. But the math checks out for the uh, time that we saw early sneak peeks of Domino United and of Nuka Penna. So math checks mm-hmm. out. This would be the week that they give us like two or three card sneak peek.
0: Yeah, it's usually a couple weeks before the actual spoilers yeah. start. When, two or three weeks, yeah. When does that set come out? It comes out... November 7th, is that no, right? No, I
2: think it I think it comes out... Yeah, I guess November. I don't
1: know.
0: November? It's doing the same thing Streets of Nuka Penna did where it's going to be in paper before it's yeah, online. We... But I don't know if the 7th is that weekend or like the actual weekend i don't know if that's pre-release weekend or like the we actual have
2: weekend. us recording the brothers war set review on the 8th which is a tuesday i think pre-release is that friday i think i wanted to do the i think i told y'all we wanted to do the uh set review before
1: pre-release yeah okay that makes sense cool mid-november then i've got yeah i think six weeks
2: i think re- i think release date yeah. is like november all 15th right. yeah
1: all right, all right all right all right we can do this uh, I can feign <laughs> excitement for even more magic product. I, I'm I'm honestly uh-huh. like Whew. I'm so burnt out. I'm like I'm glad that forty K and Unfortunately
2: came out between United and, and Brothers World because I'm like I can just I can look at them. Nod my head, say cool, and walk away.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that is pretty nice. I I know Warhammer. The set was supposed to come out over the summer or whatever, but yeah, I'm with you. I'm in the same boat.
1: I mean, I I remain excited about these things, but I worry that it might be too much, too fast. Yes, absolutely, Gavin. Uh, If you're listening, you you know he is. Chill out, man. Just. (laughs) <laughs> Slow down. Just
0: take take a breath. Yeah, take a vacation. It'll Come be on. okay. For real. <laughs> yeah, him and Morrow are just out of control. Yeah. But yeah, like Liam said, I can kind of breeze past these two sets and just sort of sit and wait for Brother's War, but it's always fun to look at new Magic cards. Yeah,
2: I'll give you
1: that.
0: <laughs> Regardless of their impact or whether or not I'll buy them, it's, it is fun to look at new cards for me.
1: Yeah, there's there's definitely some entertainment here. Yeah. I, I just like, it's, it's entertaining, and then I have to sit down and update. 80 online deck lists <laughs> and then i yeah, have to sit true. down and update up, an update 80 physical decks with new cards and i yeah there is that aspect of like it. i would like to do this slightly less frequently wizards if if it's yeah, all then, the same yeah. you, should, you should
2: just do what i do less than six times is, a year i wait until the last standard set comes out for the year which, granted, last year was like the end of November with Crimson Vow, and this year is the middle of November instead of, you know, the end of October. But I just wait till the last standards that comes out, and then I update all of my decks across all the formats at that time.
1: Yeah, that, that might be the plan. You know, like, the just one, big, the one only fell exception loose,
2: huh? is, uh, you know, 60 card popper, where, like, you can't really wait until the end of a year. Right. But, like, my, right, right, my yeah, EDH yeah, uh-huh. decks, my PDH decks, I just make lists of notable cards, like a, a long notepad list, and then just end of the year is when i do the big update it's so much nicer yeah
0: 60 card popper literally literally changes every set that uh, makes sense whether it's by one card or a bunch of cards yeah this week we're going to continue that series our three by three series where we all dive deep into one archetype give our own individual opinions on it sort of go through our decks how we build the decks choosing the commanders for them and then give all the listeners out there a little bit of insight into the strategies that are possible and see how different these uh, decks can play out. Many times they're drastically different than than what you would expect. They're they're a lot different from you know, my deck's way different than Dave's is different than Liam's and so on. And the listeners seem to love this type of format. So this week we're gonna talk about aristocrats. It's probably my it's probably my all time favorite archetype i don't know if you can consider life gain an archetype sure. i guess it is very minor archetype it's more of a strategy but um as far as like the hardcore like four or five different archetypes i think i think uh, aristocrats is my favorite what about you guys i go hard for aristocrats i i love i do too uh, i i love sacrificing things I, I do too i i don't know what it is but i love just killing so, stuff. yeah
2: Unlike my co-hosts here who like to tear things down, uh, I prefer the, the, the alternative of, of building things up, which means my take on Aristocrats is a little different. I know how it's supposed to work. I, I don't like how it's supposed to work. So I approach it slightly differently, That you'll find out how this episode
0: that's perfect. That's perfect. Uh, there's bound to be somebody out there that 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 thinks the same way. Speaking of slightly differently, in the in the continuing, this is our our, our third
1: three by three episode. We did we yep. did Voltron first, and then we did Go Wide. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: In each of those episodes, we have had the honorary Yargle deck in our. <laughs> yep. In our Voltron episode, it was literally Yargle, courtesy of Liam. It was Thank Yargle. That yep. Yar, our, our Yargle deck was Yargle cool. uh, mm-hmm. as as is tradition and to keep with that tradition for our go wide deck i i brought a weird is it spell slinging deck to our go wide token strategy thing which was still making a lot of tokens and still doing go wide stuff just in a slightly different Mm way
0: yeah take a little different
1: slant on it today i am going to be representing the classical traditional very Everything you would expect to see out of an Aristocrat's deck archetype. Uh, Liam has mentioned already that uh, he's going a slightly different direction. Today's honorary Yargle deck is being introduced by the Aristocrat boss himself, Brad. (laughs) So we're going to... It only makes sense. Yes. Should we should we introduce our commanders, or should we go through the the four pillars of aristocratness and talk about like the, I, how we're going to structure the episode and then get into the commanders? What do you think?
0: Yeah, I, I think that's what we did for the go-wide yeah, strategy, and it seemed to work out pretty well. So yeah, let's hit those, those pillars of the aristocratness, okay. as you said.
1: Pillars of aristocratness. Who wants to do this? I got the first one.
0: Okay. So,
2: the first pillar of aristocratness. How to make a cult following,
1: a.k.a. acquiring your ammunition. Mm-hmm. That's it. We're gonna aristocrats is about sacrificing things. We're gonna we need to assemble a lot of things to
0: sacrifice.
1: Yep.
0: Yeah, and it's not just about sacrificing one or two things. Like you want to do it all the time to as much as you possibly can. Some would say it is about sacrificing one thing
1: eleven times. <laughs> 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 Depen- Depends on how you're counting. That's true. Yeah. That's the right. second pillar, obviously, then is spending your ammunition. You have amassed a cult, yeah. you now need to sacrifice your cults. You have acquired a pile of ammunition.
0: You need to yeet it somewhere. It has to be eaten. Probably into the graveyard. Mm-hmm. Hopefully getting something out of it. You better be. That's right. What's, what's third? Third is how to not run out of gas. You know, in a very streamlined Aristocrats deck, you're going to be cruising through cards. You're going to be cruising through cards in your hand, in your library, on the battlefield. So we need to make sure that you have enough gas to keep going. The Aristocrats functions off a massive engine. And if you're out of gas, that engine goes nowhere.
1: It's true. 100%. Liam, tell us about the fourth and final pillar of Aristocrats.
0: Yeah. Uh,
2: the fourth and final pillar of Aristocrats is uh, while you are busy sacrificing and uh, killing your creatures, how do you not die? How do you not end up
0: in the graveyard alongside mm-hmm. the them? <laughs> right. This is key. Yep. Make sure you don't also get yeeted out. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Those... Yeah, and each one of those we're gonna we're gonna sort of go through just like the other episodes, we're gonna go through the deck list. We're gonna hit on each of these pillars um one at a time in our decks and see where we fare at the end. What do you think? I'm ready. And then at the end, you know, we might do a little wrap up, a little casual speak about each deck, but uh we got some other stuff to get to as well. So I'm um, first on the list. You want me to just start out or do you wanna save the Yargle for last? I think I think we should I think I would like to start out with my like very prototypical
1: standard issue aristocrat stack, so we can have like a baseline that, and then we can introduce the weird idea. ones to see how are these different from something more standard yeah yeah like a control aristocrats perfect okay, so do it my aristocrats commander is i'm gonna describe the pieces and then you can you can as as i as I describe more and more you you my 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 listeners can guess which creature I'm talking about uh it's <laughs> Rakdos colors. It is a Legendary Berserker. It costs 4 mana. Its power and toughness is 4-3. And it has a triggered ability when attacking creatures die. If you think I'm talking about Garna, the new Garna for DMU, you are correct. But also, if you think I'm talking about Carter Doomscourge, you are also correct. These are basically the same card. Mm -hmm. They're both 4 mana Rakdos, 4-3 Berserkers. Uh, with triggers when attacking creatures dies. Uh, so the deck yep. that I currently have built is set up for Carter, just because it's like a year old. I made it when Carter came out. Uh, when Garna came out, I looked at her. I realized that I loved Garna exactly as much as I love Carter. But because they're almost exactly the same card, I'm not going to build a separate deck. I'm just going to sometimes switch the commanders. No,
0: right. So. Yep, I, I am totally like that with multiple Orzhov commanders. I get it.
1: Yep, yep. So uh, if you if you hit the Moxfield link, you're looking at the deck, you're going to see Carter. Know that Garna does exactly the same thing in the deck, and you can use that just as easily. Yep, they can slot right in there. Yep, Liam, who did you bring to the table?
2: Yeah, uh, so I also brought a legendary creature who aligns with the color black, uh, but they do not align with the color red. They are mono black. And this commando in particular likes to care about the creature's power now that's you know usually a white effect uh but but it is it is on a black legend uh here and this commander is looking to sacrifice creatures of a certain power and at the beginning of the next end step bring them back it is not necessarily your end step so the way this deck is going to work is by setting up loops that you can perform on everybody's tongue to accrue value. I am, of course, talking about Shirai, Shizo's Caretaker, and they are my commander this week.
0: Beautiful. I'd love to see some aristocrats' loops. That sounds very intriguing. And
2: who did you bring this week, Brad?
0: I brought possibly... Hmm. How do I phrase this? Maybe the worst of the three decks, but definitely (laughs) the most flavorful. Uh, The way that my that my aristocrats deck functions it's a grixis deck by the way i put at the helm a newer commander from streets of new capenna that is when you say the name people instantly think combo i'm going to combo you out of the game with this with this commander but i didn't really go that route Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later i went more off the colors i really love grixis i think grixis makes Awesome aristocrats builds that are really hard to pull off in 60 card popper, but they are, eh, they're not great, but they're a little easier to pull off when you have 40 extra cards to play with. But I went with Cormella, the Glamour Thief, and she's a vampire rogue, 2 4. She costs Grixis plus 1, and she provides, you know, she adds mana if you tap her, spend a mana and tap her. She gets a sorcery or instant back when she dies. A lot of tricks can be made with her, but I am not going down the trickery route. I'm more going down the um, the thieving route, so. She is a thief. That's my commander. She is a thief. She's a glamorous. Cissa, right thief. in her name. Yeah, yeah. Says so right there. Can't mm-hmm. argue with that. It's, uh, it's canon. It is.
1: All right. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna kick us off with my discussion of how my my standard issue prototypical aristocrats deck, Carter and or We're gonna talk about mm-hmm. how I'm going to amass a cult following, or. Uh, in the words of someone much more cynical, accumulate a pile of ammunition. <laughs> Neither of my commanders are going to help me do this. Uh, they don't generate any creatures. They don't generate any tokens. They get involved in a later part of the Aristocrats plan. So uh, the deck has to generate its own pile of ammunition. And it's going to do that using just a lot of the red token generators. Things like Dragon Fodder, Crankos Command, Hordling Outburst, Beetleback Chief, Forbidden Friendship. There's, you know, Red has 30 of these cards. That are all just gonna put a lot of token creatures into play. Uh, Swarming Goblins is one of the really fun ones. Um, We got a couple Encore. That is super fun. Yeah, Swarming Goblins, super cool. We, We got a couple Encore guys in Baldur's Gate at Common in red. So, like, those guys are also just gonna create tokens every time they attack that you can sacrifice to things. A couple of the other, like, honorable mentions here are the. These are two cards that I think are sort of like really underplayed in PDH. They're Aether Chaser and Aether Poisoner from uh, the set Aether Revolt. Each of these is a cheap little body that gives you two energy on ETB and lets you spend energy when they attack to create a 1-1 Servo token. So, mm-hmm. uh, you just need to keep them around for one turn, and you can spend their energy on a second body.
0: Yeah, it's super synergistic, and they're really like they're really effective for what they are. Like Aether Chaser is a two mana two one with first strike. Yeah. The Poisoner is a two mana one one with death death touch. But like you said, they both create their own uh, creatures. Like yeah, if we such good synergy.
1: If we sort of establish like the the standard rate for two bodies here, you're looking at like two mana for a dragon fodder. And like, if you're spending that two mana on an Aether Chaser instead, one of your bodies comes a turn later, which, yeah, I mean that's that certainly is a drawback. But the benefit you get for it is one of your other bodies has plus one power and first strike, which is not it's mm-hmm. not nothing.
0: So no, that is not. Uh,
1: I like those guys.
0: I like that. You know, and and they create artifact creatures. You yeah. Know, if you want to dip into that synergy a little bit. Yeah.
1: If you want to sacrifice the artifacts, the servos they create. Yep. Are artifact tokens as well. So yeah, I I also just like that they're creatures. Uh, if you're doing stuff with, like, you know, Omen of the Dead, like, Omen of the Dead will get back an Aether Chaser. It won't get back your Dragon Fodder. So, uh, there's...
0: Right, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I... You can unearth it because they're cheap enough to just exactly. yeah, hit with unearth, that sort the of thing.
1: Unearth is solid. So, yeah, I, I like that it's it's extra bodies stapled to bodies. So, uh, I think I think that's a good, a good solid way to amass a cult following in Rakdos colors. Yeah. I expect Liam's cult following is going to be significantly different from mine. And I would love for him to tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah. So,
2: as I was mentioning earlier, my commander cares about a specific power on the creatures. Uh, Specifically, that power is one or less. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and take a minute to read the commander's text box. Uh, So they say, whenever a creature with power one or less is put into your graveyard from the battlefield, you may return that card to the battlefield at the beginning of the next end step, if... Shirei, Shizo's caretaker, is still on the battlefield. So I want to touch real quick on the rules implication there. It does have to be the same Shirei. Uh, so I I hate to say this, but there have been times when I've sacrificed my void, uh, and someone flickered Shirei, and it made me sad because it's not the same Shirei.
0: Uh,
2: it's a new that's object. A big oof. Yeah.
0: All that ammunition you were shooting. So ranks.
2: this commander is a bit of a glass cannon when it comes to aristocrats. And you know, you, you just got to be okay with that, uh, which which I am, because it approaches aristocrats very differently, right? Usually, an aristocrat's commander is going to either be the sack outlet or be the payoff, sometimes both. But Shiri, you know, isn't really either. He he is neither, uh, uh, they are, are neither the sack outlet or the payoff, they are the recursion.
1: Um, <laughs> uh right. okay so I would, I would argue that that's vaguely payoffish but i i definitely see the the argument to not
2: and the reason that as well so the reason i say it's not the payoff is because what my cult following does is the vast majority of them have enters the battlefield or leaves the battlefield
0: triggers so they mm-hmm. will be yeah every, i'm looking through your list you have 42 creatures and every single one of them has yep. an ability uh, i got sort.
2: 42 creatures most of which are power one or less. Some of them have power two. Notably, most of those tend to be uh, sack outlets, sack outlets on creatures, which I'll get to later. But those can always be recurred in a pinch with cards that shrink power. Because Shirei, another rules implication, only cares about what the creature's power was when it went to the graveyard, not what it is in the graveyard. So if the creature has...
0: Not printed on the text box. So if the
2: creature has power one on the field and it dies, Shire will recur it even though its power reverts to whatever it is printed as when it's in the graveyard. And that's just a... Yeah.
0: And we've got some really really good cards with power of one, like Thorn of oh, the Black yeah. Rose, uh, you know, Scare Tiller, you know, all these different cards that have one power that are just, they can, you know, they can swing a game yep. in your favor and, for sure. Bloodthrone Vampire, and, all that stuff.
2: The, you know, all the creatures here are, are basically utility creatures that, that have some kind of ability, you know, draining my opponents, uh, making them discard, gaining me life, introducing things like monarchy or initiative to the game. Just all kinds of utility just gathered around in my uh, little cult following of creatures. And that is how my deck plans to play and win. The
0: game. Just So that's your loop. That's your constant just yep. kill them for value, yep. get them back, just free, grind them out. Free sac
2: outlets, uh, just sack the, sack the creatures, gain value, you know, usually it's, the opponent says, I'd like to go to the end step. You respond by sacking your board, because you would ideally use them as blockers for combat, and yeah, you know, just, just loop that, because turns out when there's four people at a table, and you make your opponents each lose two life and discard a card, and you gain two <laughs> life and draw a card on every turn.
0: Every, every single, single end, end step. End step. And, and, and that's what you said earlier. It's not just your yeah. end step. It's the next it's, end it, step, whether it's yours or player's player two or three exactly. or whoever's. Uh,
2: it, it is a very it is very intense loop that does need protection, specifically on She-Ray. The deck doesn't really mind if its graveyard it gets exiled once or twice because, like Brad said, there are 42 creatures in this deck. Ideally, it, it won't matter. Uh, if you get greedy, then you know that's on you, uh, but you're playing a mono-black deck, so you should... <laughs> you should already know
0: what, what the deck's kind of uh, looking to do. Yep, I love it. I love a good mono-black uh, aristocrats deck. If if I could summarize, your
1: your Pillar mm-hmm. 1, my Pillar 1 is like a lot of tokens and token-making devices. Your mm-hmm. Pillar 1 is exclusively creature spells. Yeah, I'm utilizing creature spells. That's it.
0: Only creature spells. Got it. Only creature spells. Where Where's your cult following going to come from, Brad? Well, kind of like yours, Dave, uh, and kind of like yours too, Liam, Cormella herself does not make a cult she doesn't make tokens you know sure she can help you pay for a spell if that spell casts you know as a sorcery an instant that makes tokens but i'm not even really going that route with it my cult isn't made by me as much as it's going to i don't know convert my opponent's cult members to my side of the board and that is done almost solely through offering them cool effects oh so close kool-aid nice tasty kool-aid and sneakers everyone wears the same sneakers Pretty much through sorceries like Act of Treason, Bloody Betrayal, Price of Loyalty, Wrangle. It's threatened tribal, if you will. Uh, she's going to steal them and then that's where I get to have my my aristocrats fun with them. And when the sorceries don't work, there's a couple enchantments in there, Unhallowed Pact, and then one I kind of dug deep to find is False Demise from Alliances, I believe it is. It's from Alliances. It's a blue. Yeah. Huh? It's a blue that does basically the same thing as Tuna Blue. When a creature dies, basically, when it's put into a graveyard, return it to the battlefield under your control. It's pretty sweet. It's pretty sick. gives gives Blue a little invite to the aristocrats party. But yeah, you know, you look at Liam's deck, there's 42 creatures. You look at uh, Dave's deck, there's 35, I believe, 35 creatures. My aristocrats deck has 21 creatures. That's it. I, I am not interested in sacrificing my creatures <laughs> at all, but all of my creatures have some sort of payoff for yours being sacrificed so my cult is all of your members i i should mention that mine
1: mine is clocking in at only 35 because that doesn't count the dragon fodders and the kranko's commands and the hordle. yeah
0: spike. creature spells yeah yours is 35 creature cards yeah yep
1: and another i don't know dozen spells that make creatures <laughs> it's, a, it's a big number yep
0: exactly yep i have 21 creature cards in my deck and just looking through the most updated version, I don't have a way to make tokens, so I literally have twenty one creatures in this deck. Beautiful. Yep.
1: We yardled it, boys. <laughs> we got there. <laughs> we did. The aristocrats deck. We did. With a really low creature count. Yep. Beautiful.
0: See Aristocrats deck doesn't that does not plan on sacrificing its own see, creatures.
2: We, we had already given, uh, I love it. We'd already given Brad the uh the honorary Yardle for this episode because uh he's so into aristocrats. But had I gotten the yeah. Yoggle, I absolutely would have built a Bears companion aristocrat second is nothing you can stop. <laughs> you tried to talk me into it. You almost had me. I was like, What are the aristocrat colours? White and black. What are not white and black? Timah. What's Tima?
0: Bear's companion. Timur. <laughs> Timur is absolutely not white and black. I don't even for sure.
1: know what I would have done. I have to, no idea. To make the the Yargles I don't the Yargle either. plan Aristocrats like all of my Aristocrats because I I love Aristocrats so much that all of my Aristocrats decks just go hard on Aristocrats mm-hmm. like, they're all very like Aristocrat flavored yeah, sure. I'm not I'm not trying to like sneak See, up behind Aristocrats and, like, I'm like surprise it I'm glad <laughs> you
2: didn't get the because it means I get a chance to talk about Shi ray and I'll always take a chance to talk about She
1: I'm glad Brad got it because he nailed it I know yeah well thank you yeah i'm i'm ready for pillar two if you guys are yeah
0: sure let's do it
1: okay so pillar two as our reminder is uh so pillar one was accumulating our ammunition uh amassing our cult Mm -hmm. following pillar two is how are you going to sacrifice your cult following uh how are you going to spend your ammunition and what are you going to get for it so there's sort of two big parts of this it's you need you need ways to make them dead Mm -hmm. and you need uh, some sort of like benefit or payoff for for doing that, like, cause I mean, obviously there's benefit to not killing your stuff. You get to have stuff. Yeah. So you get to have it. Sure. So like, there has to be some some incentive for you to murder your entire field that makes it worth it doing it. So that's what we're going to talk about in pillar two. First, I'm going to talk about the sack outlets because uh, again, there's a lot of aristocrats decks where the sac outlet comes from the command zone things like flesh taker is a great example slaughter priest of mogus mm-hmm. is an incredible example here. here uh that will just they will give you an outlet for you to sacrifice your own stuff over and over again for some benefit there yeah carter and garna still don't have that so they're not they're not creating creatures for me and they're not sacrificing creatures for me. I have to do all of that myself. But they're
0: telling you to do they're it. They're
1: telling me to do it, and I do not. I I do what they say. Oh yeah, you got to. But yeah, so all of my all of my sac outlets come from the deck itself, and these are going to be things like Carrion Feeder is sort of like the 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 most famous one, just a one mana one one that lets you sacrifice creatures to put counters on it. Bloodflow Connoisseur is almost the same card. Uh, Moldfolk is that, but with Lifelink. Uh, Phyrexian Broodlings is that, but it starts as a two two. So like these guys, these are the things that are gonna. They'll they'll let you sacrifice any creature you want to put counters on them. There's a couple other really good sac outlets here, like uh, Hobblefiend. There's yeah. There's an Aetherborn one that I can never remember the name of, but it's it's the same card. Um, there's a couple other guys that will do this without. Stacking counters on themselves that are also very good here. Things like Lampad of Death's Vigil, I think, is fantastic.
0: Mm-hmm, yep.
1: Viscerous here lets you scry one. So yeah, basically you're just looking for anything that like like can let you repeatedly sacrifice creatures. I have a couple of ways to sacrifice creatures just once. So things like Heartfire will sacrifice a creature for a burn spell. Like, I guess Deadly Dispute we'll talk about later. Um, but yeah, the lots of lots of sacrifice outlets the benefit i get for sacrificing things is for the carter game plan i can attack with my entire board which hopefully is like six or seven goblins and hopefully you have some sort of pump spell this is half of this deck is a go wide deck it has the the trumpet blast in it and stuff so hopefully i can attack with a lot of goblins and like do some damage carter's ability says whenever an attacking creature dies each opponent loses one life and I gain a life. Mm-hmm. And this is very important because combat does include a step after damage has been assigned, but before the combat step ends. So it is possible to attack with all of your goblins, let them all do their combat damage to players, and then sacrifice them after they've dealt their damage and still get Carter's trigger. Yep. Which is a little crazy
0: and awesome. Yeah, last, might if I interrupt yeah, please. You real quick? Last Monday uh, on the PDH stream, we had Chev and Julian from the Hex Drinkers, mm-hmm. and Chev was on Garna. They both decided that they were going to play new Dominaria mm-hmm, United mm-hmm. commanders. And Chev was on Garna, Bloodfist, and it, it was exactly that. He would swing in with these little bitty bodies, and during that end of, I, I don't know the name of it, the end of combat cleanup end of step combat step. area, mm-hmm. yeah, he was ta- sacrifice him to Ashnod's altar or whatever, just because they were still technically an attacking yep. creature. But he was drawing cards off of them after they had been through combat. Like it was mm-hmm. it was really, really cool.
1: Yeah, that's that's what I gotta say about Garna. Her ability is a, all, templated almost like Carter's, but she says whenever a creature you control dies, so that's the first big difference. Yeah. Carter triggers off of any attacking creature dying.
0: Uh yeah, Garner, and and the beauty of that is that it works with his first ability. Yeah,
1: we're gonna talk about his first ability later. <laughs> Garna only triggers off of your own creatures, but Uh, her ability has two different modes Uh, whenever any of your creatures dies each opponent loses a life unless that creature died in the combat step if your creature dies while it's attacking then instead of making everyone lose a life you get to draw a card so the card draw here is really really crazy with garna she doesn't gain you life she doesn't trigger off other people's creatures she doesn't have carter's crazy etb which we're going to talk about more later mm-hmm. but she does draw you cards which is a little nuts so yeah if you want if you want crazy card draw garna is pretty powerful and there is that step yeah. you can sacrifice your creatures after
0: they dealt damage it's good stuff mm-hmm. it is very good stuff. So yeah that's uh <laughs> and that's the bonus and that's a lot of lot, that's a lot of damage that'll come out of nowhere yeah
1: yeah, it's exactly. it always sneaks up on you when you're just like you're sitting Damn. you're looking at this board like I could sacrifice these six goblins to Lampad of Death's Vigil <laughs> and everyone will lose twelve life. Like Yeah. That's not small.
0: Yeah. That is not small at all.
1: Yeah. So that's uh that's how I'm spending my ammunition. I'm gonna sacrifice it during the combat step to get crazy Carter and Organa triggers. <laughs> I'm gonna I wanna pass things back to Liam. How are you gonna sacrifice your creatures? Yeah, so uh, my creatures have a couple different
2: ways that they can uh, be, be sacrificed. I've, I've grouped them up here uh, into a couple different categories. Let's go ahead and go through this one. The first category is mana. Uh, here specifically, we have Basil Thrill and Soldevi Adnate. They both allow you to tap uh, themselves and sacrifice another creature to add some amount of black mana to your mana pool. Neither of them are fantastic in terms of my sacrifice outlets, since they are only one use. Uh, however, they both have one power, so they can
1: come back easily with Shi-Ray, uh, should I choose to use them as like a blocker. Does wait? Does the Adnate sacrifice itself? I thought the Adnate sacrificed other creatures, and the Thrall sacrificed itself.
2: I believe the Adnate sacrifices other creatures, and the Thrall. I'm not entirely sure. I don't see it that much. Uh, the Thrall does sacrifice itself. Okay. Yep. The other. Uh, the next group is what i call the plus two plus two crowd for some reason and i don't know why there's like three or four variants of this <laughs> creature they cost two and a black they are a two two and they have the line of text called that says sacrifice a creature this creature gets plus two plus two until end of time why we have three to four of those i'm not entirely sure but i have three of them in my deck mm-hmm. because yep. turns out when you swing a board because this deck is a little weird, too. It's a little aggressive, uh, despite the fact that everything has one power. Uh, because I want my stuff to die, right? So, like, my opponents are like, oh, you know, we can block all this stuff, uh, sure. But then he gets it in his graveyard. But then I have Sack out, so it's going there anyway. So it's, it's a little weird. It's a little aggressive. And in PDH, stuff tends to be small enough that sometimes they don't want to block. And they end up taking a little bit of incidental damage. Also, I have 42 mm-hmm. creatures in the deck. There's going to come a point where I just over-swarm other people. You know, if someone's on a Voltron strategy, they may only have one or two creatures. So I swing with a board of eight, get like six damage through, and then I sacrifice to uh, my sac outlets. These dudes have the perk of being able to sacrifice anyone that was blocked before damage to pump themselves. Oftentimes, this leads to people being like, well, maybe I should block this so I don't take a bunch of damage, and then I pump it anyway and kill their blocker. There's a lot of
0: Yeah, it'll mess it'll yeah, mess with combat. There's, there's
2: a time. lot of uh weird combat uh kind of tricks in the deck without actually explicitly having instant spells. So it's it's weird. Uh but these these friends like to sacrifice their other friends to make themselves bigger. Uh the next category uh is plus one plus one counters, uh explicitly carry and feeder, and and hopefully other things in the future. <laughs> Carrion Feeder is really good because it's like the last category, except it's permanent. So, yeah, so it's really good for the same reason. The downside of Carrion Feeder is Shiray looks for what their power was when they were on the board. Carrion Feeder giving themselves counters does not necessarily lean itself towards that strategy. So, we have a couple creatures in the deck, uh, like, oh gosh, I'm trying to think, uh, like Cadaver Imp and a Dutiful Attendant, who both have one power, and when they die, I get to return another target creature to my hand Carrion Feeder. So that's that category. And then the next category is uh, the Etc. category. These are just kind of things that, that have interesting interactions within the deck. Blood Pet, Fume Spitter, Ginger Brute all sacrifice themselves. Blood Pet giving you mana, Fume Spitter giving you neguin neguin counters so you can loop dangerous things like Gary, uh, and Ginger Brute who can sacrifice itself to gain you through life. Then we have a Corpse Blockade, which is a Death Touch Defender who has a free Sack Outlet tacked on. House Houseguard, which is a tutor, which has a free sac outlet tacked on. Viscera, which lets you scry. And Thought Pickle Witch, who is one of my favorite cards in this deck. So this is not a free sac outlet, but they do have one power. Uh, so you pay one mana and sacrifice a creature to look at the top two cards of target opponent's library, then remove one of them from the game. I love doing this right after nice. someone's tutored something on top.
0: Yep. <laughs> or after they've scryed a good card. Yeah, or if someone yeah.
2: scries and they leave something on top. I thought pickle witchet. I'm like I don't even care <laughs> That's what, rude. Yeah, I'm like I don't even care what the second cut is. Get rid of that false one. Like I'm, uh-huh. just, I'm just I love it because it's a card that no one knows, so they don't really think about it uh, until I hit them with it four times in one game, and then they want to kill it with fire. But yeah,
0: uh-huh. they gotta waste the whole card on getting rid they of. They do your little, and, and oftentimes it's just destroyed, and then it
2: comes back to being in the next instep. So <laughs> it's great. Uh-huh. <laughs> so when it comes to value I have a couple other things in the deck that don't necessarily have sac outlets tied to them uh, there's what I witch which lets me uh, scry uh goes uh, salvager uh I, I don't think it's salvager I have salvager in. yep it's scavenger silam scavenger uh this is a five mana flyer with exploit uh so when it comes in it can kind of sacrifice something but the big thing is it's like whenever another creature dies it gets a counter uh and it flies so it by itself can just be a big flying beater and it can cause scares alone and it's there to also soak up removal spells that hopefully don't hit shire uh and then i've got yeah i've got classic sure. aristocrats things like falconrath noble and death where they care about things entering or dying to gain me life because turns out when you just have a bunch of one ones and one twos trample hurts a lot so yeah yeah,
0: yeah. they can't they can't soak up a lot of they can
2: (laughs) chump block for days especially because you know i chump block i chump block dave's four fours and then on his end step they come back and i'm able to chump block brad's four fours Mm
1: -hmm. yeah turns out i'm glad you mentioned trample because like a minute ago you were like yeah if i'm playing against a voltron deck they only have one blocker uh i can get through and i'm like hold hold up yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) so so
2: (laughs) i'm playing against a voltron deck they have one blocker i can get through with damage downside is their one blocker is now one attacker who's a, a you know a twenty twenty.
1: um so tra- there's always a clap back trample trample there's all trample, trample hurts.
2: <laughs> um life gain is a necessity yes it day. does and then the the final thing that i'm really getting out of this uh, category this this pillar is could disadvantage for my opponents there's a there's a lot of uh value to be gained uh, if, you, if you take a look at the deck list, you'll see that the creatures are kind of everywhere. Like, there's there's ones that deal damage, there's ones that drain my opponents, there's ones that make tokens, there's ones that draw me cards, there's ones that, uh, you know, introduce other mechanics into the game. But the biggest category across all 42 creatures is there's like 8 or 9 of them that say each opponent discards cut. This deck mm-hmm. is slow. There's no real way around that. Uh, I've, I've tried adding in rituals and I've tried adding in more mana rocks, but what that ends up doing is cutting into the creature base, which is what the deck really needs to thrive. So what ends up happening when you add more of those rocks and rituals in is the deck is faster, but it's not consistent and it's, it, you know, it's great if you can go 80 miles an hour. But we want to go eighty miles an hour forward, not sideways. <laughs> so right. I would rather
0: you know, I hydroplane. would rather
2: play a deck that's a little slower, that's more consistent. Uh and what that means is we need to be able to slow our opponents down too. And uh turns out when they don't get cards, because I'm making them discard four cards a turn cycle.
0: That's an issue. It's an issue for them. Yep. That is a uh, Mono Black yes. Salt. I, I that,
2: that was that was my <laughs> solution to that. Uh was was when I when I found out that making the deck faster made it uh, less consistent. I was like, okay, how can I make my deck perform at its pace and interrupt my opponents? Turns
1: out, yep,
0: hand disruption. <laughs> Turns out, <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. Turns out, hand destruction, yeah. good. And, and not,
1: Burglar Rats gets a special not, mention because, uh, in addition to being unreasonably cute, it is also a marsh all star. Yeah, so Ooh, so there's Burglar nice.
2: Rats, which is, you know, ETB, each mm-hmm. opponent discards a card. Uh, there is, I'm going through the list. There is Elder Fang disciple, same thing. Enters battle each opponent, discards card.
0: I love Eldritch that. Elvish
2: Doomsayer, when mm-hmm. it dies, each opponent discards a card. So this one doesn't even have to come back mm. with Shuay. You know, if your loop gets interrupted, it still it still does its thing. Yep. I'm going through, there's a couple more. I know there's more in here. They might have gotten. I see virus, oh, virus beetle. There, it's yeah. One of
0: my favorites.
1: Virus beetle, Liliana Specter. Um, Spectre's not in here. Cackling. Specter's got two power. Cackling yeah. fiend is the same yeah, thing. Yeah. It has two power. There's one that there's a two power ghoul that does it on exploit, and there's a mm. there's a
0: I like exploit. There's a four
1: power nightmare that does it on mutate.
0: Hmm. That's cavern whisper. I jam that sucker in every deck That's I can. That's so good. I love that thing.
1: Those are the only ones I know. But yeah. the the, yeah. the point being, hand disruption is pretty good. Yes, it is. It could be very powerful. Oh, there's a two mana one three. That makes everyone discard two cards on a kicker. That honestly, Is it the witches? Yeah, yeah, Urborg witch something, Urborg something witch, some kind of. What about the? I was thinking Calico witches or whatever. Caligo, Caligo skin witches. Yes. Yeah. I think that's it. That's, uh, yeah. Sorry, Urborg flavored art maybe. I don't know. Maybe I just associate them with Urborg because they're black and they're from the Dominaria set. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, and you can yeah yeah skin kick them for
1: extra black. Skin, which, yeah, skin witches obviously doesn't work with Shirei, but it's yeah. Uh,
2: it's a powerful effect. Yeah, and there are definitely yeah, ways you can take this deck and, and be a little more focused. I've got a, I've got a couple of the things in the deck that, that grant minus one, minus one counters, or just until end of turn. I, I have them in there to, to loop important things like Gary or uh, Thorn of the Black Rose. But if you wanted to take the deck in a little more focused direction, because mine's just a little all over the place, like if you wanted to lean into the discard and that's what you did, you would obviously include a couple more than the, uh, the neg one dudes. In which case, you could include things like Spectre. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I'm uh, doing Pillar 2. How about you, Greg? I, I
0: love it. Well, Cormella does Pillar 2 a little differently. So it's how to sacrifice my following for to get, quote, them gains. I don't think it's any coincidence that Cormella is a thief. She's a vampire rogue, glamorous thief. She taps to produce three mana, and that's just about what all the threaten effects cost. <laughs> Act of Treason, Bloody Betrayal, Pax Betrayal, Shackles of Treachery, Price of Loyalty. I don't think there's any coincidence that she'll just straight up pay for these, you know, these threat effects. But the way I'm going to sacrifice my following, well, the way I'm going to sacrifice my my ill-gotten gains, my opponent's following, if you will, is very similar to what you guys have. It is your carrion feeders, makeshift munitions, uh, lamphead of Death's Vigil is, is a rock star in decks like this, uh, blood flow connoisseur, that sort of thing. Um, I don't think I need to go too heavily into that because, you know, most of it was pretty similar to what, what you guys already have. The only thing I did build in there is the Mogworts, Gobbo Wombo combo Skirk Prospector Putrid Goblin first day of class, just sort of as a, a backup, backup emergency button if I can't went through makeshift munitions or lamp triggers or just straight up combat for some reason and then i do have four value because i do have blue so i do have some flicker effects i have blur and uh, ghostly flicker and i think that's about it i think that's the two i ended up landing on uh, ghostly flicker it specifically comes in very handy because as long as you're as long as i'm not trying to steal their commander but i really really want to have a creature or a specific creature i can steal it and then i can just flicker it and then it stays on my side of the board until I'm done with it. Uh, Not till the end of turn, not till anything like that. You know, if I act a treason it, it comes over, I swing, you know, do whatever it does during combat, and then I flicker it, then I just get to keep it and just sort of taunt my opponents, throw them off their game a little bit.
1: Yeah, Ghostly Flicker says that the creature comes back into play under your control, not under its owner's control. Which, as Brad said, that works with everything except commanders. If you try to steal someone else's commander that way, it goes to exile, and then the the owner gets to decide whether it's going to stay in exile or get moved back to their command zone. Mm -hmm. So uh, they probably choose to move it back to the command zone, (laughs) uh, and then you don't get to keep it.
0: Yep, whereas I also have blur in here. It's the same casting cost, two and a blue exile target creature you control, which is fine, then return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control. So it's not not as powerful as ghostly flicker, uh, but you do get to draw a card. But yeah, just in case you know, ghostly flicker or something, and that's not like a huge game plan. The the flicker to steal your thing permanently, but that's just sort of a nice thing that can come up every now and then. For sure. But yeah, I have all the all the stuff. I uh, I included dark dweller oracle, the new downshift. I can you know if I need to, if I don't have anything else on the board that will further the game plan towards me winning, I can just sacrifice the stolen creature to essentially draw a card off, you know, off the top of my library. Um, I also have Elvish Doomsayer in here. It's a very nice card. Virus Beetle, that sort of thing. But, you know, then I have Mortician Beetle. Uh, Hissing Iguanar is one of my favorites. It says it's a 3-mana, three 3-1 three, Lizard. And whenever another creature dies, I may have Hissing Iguanar deal 1 damage to target player or planeswalker. So as long as I'm consistently killing stuff, it's just going to be consistently pinging stuff. So
1: I do like the Iguanar.
0: Yeah, I do too. Um, I don't have a ton of sacrifice outlets outside of... Let me rephrase that. I don't have a ton of sacrifice outlets compared to like a more traditional Aristocrats-style build. But I do have Carrion Feeder to staple, uh, Bloodflow Connoisseur, that sort of thing. I already went through them, you know, makeshift munitions and all that sort of stuff. So as long as I can keep the threatened effects coming, I'm okay. Because my creature count is so low that it it would be easy to swarm my board, you know, from the other side of the table and just completely wreck what I'm trying to do. So mm-hmm. you have to be timely with your with your stealing, with your threatens. So
1: I still cannot believe they gave us the makeshift munitions downshift. That card is
0: I know. Such a
1: <laughs> powerhouse.
0: Yeah, it's it is it is whack. Yeah. It is very whack. Super whack. Yeah.
1: I actually completely forgot that the card Scorched Rusalka existed. <laughs> but it's kind of like a makeshift munitions. It's like a 1-1 one, one makeshift munitions that only sacrifices creatures and only damages players. Okay, it's a lot worse than makeshift munitions, but it's... Uh, yeah,
0: and there's also like um, Plague Rusalka or whatever, where you can yeah. sacrifice a creature to put a minus one, minus one counter. Uh, just minus one, minus one to
2: time. Yeah.
0: Oh, okay, that's what it is. William yeah. knows, because it's in his cheery so, yeah, deck.
2: <laughs> uh, Plague Rusalka. a few options.
0: Plague- I, I, like, I like the Moldfolk option. I'm not sure if I'll put it in here, but I do... Moldfolk is definitely a, a new Plague favorite Pusalka of my... Plague
2: yeah. Rusalka actually got cut from my deck.
0: Ooh, that's a bold maneuver.
2: Um I so, it. so the like when when we talk about things that I want to save uh from two power down to one, it is a very short list. It is Gary and Falconrath Noble.
1: Mm. Um every, you don't run Faceless
2: Butcher? I do not run Faceless Butcher. I don't know what that card does. Uh it's O ring on a creature. Okay. No, I don't run Faceless Butcher, I run uh Abyssal Gatekeeper, which is uh like reverse fleshbag marauder. When it dies everyone's yeah, yeah to it's yeah. Yep. so I, I really only care about uh, saving Gary and Falconrath maybe House Housegood, maybe sometimes so I don't really need that many minus one, minus one effects I have Festering Mummy because it, it grants a counter uh, which can also be uh, doubly used on my opponent's stuff uh, yeah, I have yeah. Fume Spitter because it sacrifices itself for free to put a counter on something yep. and then yep, yep, yep. I did have Plague Lysarca in the deck, but it actually got cut uh, for Shambling Gas from AFR because it gives that makes
1: treasures right. Yeah,
2: it gives target creature an opponent controls yep. minus one minus one until end of turn, or it can make a treasure, which is do really which is really important in a deck that has early mana issues. I don't mind dropping yep. a shambling ghast on turn one and just letting it die for the treasure, hmm. because I have
0: and it is deadly disputes. I, best friend. I do
2: not mind doing. Uh, so I found that the Shambling Gas line was actually more preferable than the Rusaka line.
0: Yeah, no, that's fair. Cool. So right, what do you got for Pillar 3, Dave? Yeah, let's
1: talk about Pillar 3. Pillar 3 is how to not run out of gas. How, <laughs> af- yes. after you have done a lot of things in the first five turns of the game, how do you make sure that your deck is still capable of continuing to do things on turn 8 or 9? Mm-hmm. Which mostly means drawing cards. Um... At this point, if we're talking about Carter, we need to also talk about his ETB, which is not aristocrat-flavored, but it is very relevant. Carter's Enter the Battlefield ability says, Until your next turn, all of your opponent's creatures have to attack, and they can't attack you. So you're going to force everyone to attack each other, and you are not going to get attacked. Which, as Brad says, is super cool, especially if you're the monarch <laughs> <laughs> a little dirty but this is how you make sure that you have cards in the late game. Is you take the monarchy and then you play carter and you say no one can attack
0: me that's right I, getting them games i will
1: be the monarch next turn as well and it's just really silly carter does have a handful of other really good like draw spells most of them are stapled to bodies, because Carter really needs to have this high creature count. Lots of bodies in play. So, like, Dusk Legion sure. Zealot is an all-star. It's just 2-mana 1-1 one, one that draws a card on ETB. Mm. Uh, I really like Blade Juggler, which has the same ability. That's a
0: very good card. That is sneaky good. It's, yeah, It's
1: crazy good, actually. Yeah, it's uh, it's the same ability, ETB Lose a Life Draw card, but it's on a 3-2 body with whatever the Rakdos
0: spectacle spectacle
1: that's what it's called yes yeah spectacle reduces its casting cost if you've damaged someone this turn and you should have the creatures to damage someone so it's functionally a three mana three two with etb lose a life draw card Mm -hmm. the other incredible honorable mention here is girder goons is a four four creature that creates a two two black rogue token when it dies and Its casting cost is 5, but I'm not ever going to cast it for 5. I'm only ever going to (laughs) exclusively Blitz this card for 4 mana, which puts it into play with Haste, Sack it in a turn, and then when it dies, you draw a card. Mm -hmm. So this is 4 mana for a 4-4 attacker, and a 2-2 body, and a card draw. It's kind of awesome.
0: It is really awesome. Yeah.
1: Carter also runs a handful of card draw that is attached to rocks. Carter draws a lot of hate. People people don't like the E T B. People it turns out people don't like being forced to attack. Turns no out. no yeah. names, but one of them is a co host whose name is Lee. <laughs> so when, when they see Carter, they're gonna try to make sure that Carter's effect doesn't happen often. They're gonna try to shut that whole right. thing down. Which means that you're going to have to recast Carter for 6, and then maybe 8, and maybe 10. I don't know. It's gonna You're going to have to recast Carter a lot. So you need a lot of rocks, and you need a lot of creatures, which means that you don't really have room for like the sign in bloods, or the pointed discussions, or the crushing disappointments. Those cards just don't really mm-hmm. fit in this deck. Uh, but you can choose to make sure that you're running the rocks that get you cards out of them. So, like, Bonders Ornament is enormous. Things like Commander's Sphere or Roscarelic Relic that you can use for mana while you need mana, and then you can sac for a card when you're desperate. The Rakdos Locket, I think, is very good in this deck. Okay.
0: So, yeah, that's... Yeah, you don't see the lockets a whole, a, a whole lot.
1: Yeah, I think that four colored mana is a lot. But two cards is sure. also a lot, so like you need you need very specific decks to really make those cards shine.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they're good in two color decks where you you know you don't have to worry about that third color getting in the way.
1: They're good in two color decks that need a lot of rocks and are going to run out of gas. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. Sounds like a sounds like a Carter deck to me. Sounds
1: like a Carter problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Now I was looking through too. What was the sort of decision making process behind not having like? um deadly dispute village rights, that sort of thing
1: i wanted my sack outlets to be much more permanent so like i I, ideally i want to be able to sacrifice like four creatures at once five creatures at once like i want to have one big blowout sacrifice turn uh i don't want because like until that turn i need these creatures to be attacking this is it's it's aristocrats deck but it also it 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 masquerades as a go-wide token aggro deck a lot of the time. Okay, that makes sense. So I don't want to be like, you know, one turn I make a couple tokens and then I sacrifice one or two. Uh, I want to amass an army and then sacrifice them
0: all at once, and so yeah that 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 makes that makes big time sense. Yeah,
1: I do have a couple like one use sack outlets like heartfire is four damage to someone's face, which when you're already making them lose like twelve life to a lamp out of death's vigil and Carter triggers like that extra four that might be the game.
0: I don't know if. Let's see here. If this is going to be in a later pillar, later discussion, but Raid Bombardment in this deck is so spicy.
1: (laughs) Raid Bombardment is a good time. Yeah. yeah. Raid Bombardment... is actually it's not one of the pillars, and I, I probably wasn't going to mention it if you didn't bring it up. But it's uh, that's that is a holdover from Carter's time moonlighting as a Go Wide Aggro token deck. So okay. it's got the Raid Bombardment. It's got Orcish Oriflame. It's got might Stone, It's got right. I, it might have one or two trumpet blast effects in there because right up until it sacrifices its entire board to kill the entire table, it does want to be doing this, the big Go Wide. So yeah, no absolutely. deadly disputes. Which honestly, that it makes might sense to me. it might be a mistake. I don't know. I just know that I want to go hard on tokens and then attacking. So, like, if, yeah. if you build Carter with Deadly Dispute in it, I'm confident that that would not be a bad plan. It's a great card.
0: No, I don't, yeah, it's, it's not Deadly Dispute's very universal. Yeah. I was just kind of wondering.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a fair question.
0: What about Liam's card
1: advantage? How's Liam gonna do yeah. Pillar 3?
0: What's the Shire Pillar 3 yeah, look like? So,
2: uh, just like I'm making my opponent's discard cards, uh, I'm drawing cards. I have a couple creatures again with power one. Uh, that all ETB draw card. Uh, they would be Dusk Legion Zealot, Novice Occultist, and Sky Scanner. All of these creatures fairly simple. You know that that ETB draw card effect. You do that four times a turn cycle. Your hand will fill up pretty fast. Once, Does, once the Occultist the, is a death trigger, right? Novice Occultist, I think, is ETB, but it might be a death. Uh, it is a death. It, yeah, I think yeah, it's, it's death. It is a death. Okay. Um, but. This deck treats death and ETP triggers effectively the same. Um, <laughs> yeah,
1: it, yeah. It, it, <laughs> it all happens off. It's the cycle of life. It is
2: It is important to know yep, uh, the when they do happen, like which ones you do when you sacrifice and which ones you do when they come back on uh, at the beginning of the end step, just in case yeah. someone wants to interrupt Shirei. The, the deck treats them fairly similarly. So it's, it's very easy to get them all mixed up. But yeah, so, so card draw. Another one, which is uh, another uh, recent uh, spicy include, is Gluttonous Guest. Whenever Gluttonous Guest enters the battlefield, you create a blood token. And it also has another line that's not super relevant, uh, but it is whenever you sacrifice a blood token, you gain a life. This is the only Mm -hmm. source of blood in the deck currently, so, you know, it's aight. Life gain like, isn't something to really count
1: that? on, but
2: but the blood token is the blood That's token right. is nice for card selection in your hand, specifically
1: with the next card, Pilgrim's Eye. A real quick Gluttonous Guest. Yeah. Super fun in Auto Umi. I, I believe it. <laughs> you, you get Ooh, yeah, you get, I believe it. you get three blood tokens, and if you sacrifice them all right then, you gain nine life. Yeah, it's pretty silly. <laughs> um, sorry,
2: go ahead. Yeah, no, so uh, Gluttonous Guest kind of pairs really well with the next card, Pilgrim's Eye. Uh, so Pilgrim's Eye, I believe, is an ETB ability. Uh, gets a basic land and mm-hmm. puts it into your hand. Not really that fancy, uh, but this this is kind of doing a couple things. A, it's giving you land drops, uh, which is nice. B, it's giving you discard fodder for things like blood token or some of the sorceries that are in the deck. Mm-hmm. While we're not really counting yep. on that, it also gives you stuff to fill up the hand with so that you know if you hit a, a point where you have to discard, you may not mind discarding lands. But it also makes it so that you're pulling basics out of the deck. The deck that i have only runs uh i think it's six non-basic lands so pulling those basics out of the deck will really help what you're drawing as you just draw off your other spells and then we have thorn of the black rose for monarch and uh vicious battle rager for the initiative and let me tell you doing the initiative four times a ton cycle oh it's beautiful (laughs) oh my you complete so many that sounds very nice so many dungeons it's not even funny Yeah. Feels good. Yeah. Oh it (laughs) feels feels good already. And then uh, when it comes to spells, uh we do have things like Bonda's ornament, uh to to draw some cards. Uh also because it's just the best card in the format. But when it comes to spells, we do actually run uh the deadly disputes and the costly plunder and the village rights. We've got Reckoner's Bargain, uh, Vicious Offering, uh, Spurk Harvest, uh, Eaten Alive, Bone Shred. And it's kind of weird because this deck, just like Alk's deck, wants to do all of its sacrificing all at once. So so okay, why sure. am I, why am I running all these spells? Because sometimes, turns out, you know, Murder is a good card, but it costs three mana. What if we could make it cost two and Exile instead? Yeah. You know, what if we could make it cost one and exile instead? Mm -hmm. These spells all have the additional cost of sacrificing a creature. Some of them uh, say, or discard a card. Some of them say, or artifact. Some of them say, or pay, you know, four extra mana. But the the real thing here is you're playing spells for effects at a cheaper rate than they should be because you're going to sacrifice the creatures anyway. Right. Could maybe better selections be made that's debatable because things like Spark Harvest and uh, Bone Shards, you know, hit Planeswalkers and that's not super relevant. Uh, but I do play this deck in EDH pods, so that becomes slightly more relevant for me. If you were going to play this by yourself, I would definitely uh, consider cutting uh, specifically Bone Shards and Spark Harvest for maybe like your, your cast downs. Just that way you have a little more consistency uh, with your kill spells and you don't have to rely on having Sacrifice Fodder. But for the way that I play this deck, this specific version of the deck, it works.
0: Yeah, that sounds good to me. She is one of those ones for me that looks like when you look at it, you're like, okay, yeah. cool. It does this thing, it makes this little loop. But you know, like hearing you talk about it and actually diving into what a she deck mm-hmm. looks like, there's just there's so much going yeah. on. Like, and and it's not just like that. You can do so much. Like you can do so much on every yeah, turn. I, I
2: can do so much which, on which is nice. On, you know, everyone's turn despite nothing having flash. <laughs> right and when it when it comes to that that protection aspect like i, I cannot stress protecting shirei enough like i have i have whisper yeah. Silk cloak i have blessing of leeches duck privilege soul channeling like i i, I really need to protect him honestly there should probably be a fifth and a sixth one in this deck but that that's a discussion for a later time
1: honestly that the, sure shirei is a, a monstrous horrifying powerhouse of value it is and if 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 they go online, then it's devastating. Yeah. but like the the thing that has kept me from building a Shire deck is that the the deck is very, very fragile. Oh, it's you need to keep fragile. Shire in play the whole turn mm-hmm. like uh, if Shire dies, all the creatures that you died died that turn stay dead. Mm-hmm. Like they don't come back it's, later. It's not even the dice. Uh, if, I like if it, you get like
2: it's it's really just or,
1: or gets flickered yeah. or like yeah, anything. Like it gets bounced to your hand. If Sheila if Shire leaves the, the battlefield, mm-hmm. like all of your work is just over. And so yeah, it yeah. folds folds, dies dice to removal dies to <laughs> graveyard hate. Yeah. And like those are the two most common forms of interaction in PDH, so like it's yeah. yeah it's fantastic if you can get it online. It's really hard to get online. See, I this deck
2: has a lot of success because I do play it at EDH tables where I think people don't take it seriously because it is a pile of commons. Yeah. So it's it's yep. Uh-huh. It's, it's allowed to get away with more than it should, and I will one hundred percent admit that.
1: <laughs> For sure so awesome. yeah. my zada deck is the same yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs>
2: like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm able to weave some of that into the deck building which is not good deck building but i
1: don't care either way it's, right. it's great deck building let's be <laughs> yeah, real yeah it's amazing uh pro, <laughs> pro tip if if you're going to bring a pdh deck to an edh game and you want to really lean into this it's just commons don't don't worry about it don't sleeve your deck yeah everyone will ignore literally everything you do until you're attacking the board for 370 damage yep until, yeah, until if, you're winning right if you're <laughs> if your cards are unsleeved no one will look at you yep it's it's great no. it, and it's not even it's not
2: even that they're like oh you know their cards must be worth so little they didn't sleeve them it's the fact that like the the edh culture has such an aversion yeah. to looking at unsleeved <laughs> cards that like it's it's a mentality oh, yeah. like they just they they can't yeah. help but not look
0: Right, right. Yeah, it, it it's like a visceral it is. reaction. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, so uh Brad, how about uh, you? How do you, how does uh yep. Cormella get card advantage? I imagine it's fairly easy with blue, but why uh, don't you tell us?
0: It is. It is. It's fairly easy with blue, with black, with red, and Grixis has amazing card advantage and it's pretty straightforward here, mainly because I am you know, I asked Dave earlier about Deadly Dispute, Village Rights, all that sort of stuff. I jam as many of those effects as I can because I'm not having to sacrifice my creatures. I'm stealing my opponent's creatures, so I don't care about a Deadly Dispute killing a creature. I'm going to kill yours anyway. Mm-hmm. Village Rights, Reckoner's Bargain, that sort of thing. Uh, those are my main card advantage engines card draw engines and then yeah just like you said i have blue so i have treasure cruise in here i have muddle the mixture i have drift of phantasms to find pieces that i'm missing Uh, even you know arcane denial draws a card blur draws a card like and then red i have dark dweller oracle i have reckless impulse you know that sort of thing like every color has at least two outlets to draw me a card for the most part which is nice especially when the sacrifice a creature to draw cards doesn't happen to my creature. Yeah, for sure. That's pretty much what the deck wants to do. Uh, you know, I have siphon mind, read the bones, you know, I pack as much of that as I can and hear nights whisper. It, it, the thing that helps with those a lot I also have Goblin Electromancer and Nightscape Familiar in the deck. So if I can get both of those online, a lot of these uh, wrangle effects, these threaten effects cost, you know, a single mana. Some of my draw spells cost a mana or two mana. The flicker spells cost a mana. Like, it gets pretty crazy if you can keep them both on the board at the same time. Like, you're just going to start pumping out, pumping out spells, stealing stuff, drawing cards, doing all this crazy stuff. And that's where Cormela comes in because she can produce that mana. And in a pinch, if she dies, you can bring back an instant or sorcery. So if you absolutely had to, you could deadly dispute her. Um, Village rights her, that sort of thing. So She also has uh, You can use... haste. Go ahead. So if you ghostly
1: flicker her, you could get
0: mana that way as well. Yeah, yeah, that's a good call. I didn't even think about that. Yep, use her once, flicker, bring it back, do it again. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually surprised how much card draw I was able, and just card advantage, I was able to pack into this deck you know, I guess that's sort of the advantage of only having 21 creatures. But if it's not a creature and it's not a threat and effect, it's a card draw spell or it's a counter spell. Like it's putting cards in my hand or taking cards out of your hand one way or the other if it's not stealing or an actual creature. But then I have like Bonders Ornament, Commander's Sphere, that, those sort of things that are consistent card draw. But other than that, I don't think there's anything too crazy here. Pretty straightforward Grixis you know, card advantage engines, if you will.
1: Yeah. That sounds
0: awesome. It, it is pretty fun. If you like those, if you like those colors, it's, it can be a little grindy. Sometimes the mana doesn't line up, but um, overall, it, it is pretty fun. Great. Where are we at here? Pillar four. What do you got, Dave?
1: Yeah. So uh, the fourth pillar of the Aristocrats archetype is uh, how to not die. So you have to make it's sure. very that... important. Super important. If you want to keep playing Magic, you got to not be dead. So yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Usually, this "how to not die" category, like for, for me, I I usually were I usually use "how to not die" as like a cute way to say like this is how you do board control. This is how you kill problematic creatures and remove threats and like clear boards of crazy amounts of tokens and things. Carter doesn't do any of that. Um, <laughs> I don't kill creatures. I I may have mentioned this ten minutes ago, but Carter has an ETB, which says. Uh, all of your opponent's creatures have to attack your other opponents for a full turn cycle. Mm-hmm. So, um, I know that th- there's a lot of Carter decks that really lean into this ability, where they they're going to use a lot of like ninjutsu effects and they're on a lot of like you know uh the the undying malice effects to sacrifice Carter and bring him back for extra ETBs. My deck doesn't do a lot of that. I'm much more into Carter for the aristocrats style effect i do i do lean a little bit into the etb because i think it's cool but that's mostly how i'm gonna not die is i'm going to spend i'm gonna create two maybe three turn cycles throughout the game where everyone has to attack everyone else so i don't want to kill their creatures uh i want their creatures to be alive and attacking (laughs) other people
0: which is hilarious that is very hilarious that is a solid uh (laughs) solid strategy for staying alive i think it's super fun uh,
1: I, know, I know a lot of people don't like it, but I I just can't get enough of it. Yeah. If you happen to be online looking at my Moxfield list, the default sorting option on it should be by the categories I've created. And you might notice that one of my categories is named Murder All of the Things. And you might mm-hmm. see that category name and you might be thinking, <laughs> you just said you don't run removal. What things are you murdering? And the answer is People
0: yes the the murder uh, hold on hold on hold on you have a category you do have a category that you went out of your way to make that's called (laughs) terminate is a good card yes (laughs) the the actual only card in that category is terminate
1: it's true uh my actual removal category is called terminate is a good card that category contains exactly one card (laughs) but no the the murder all the things category is for people like the that's where i put flame rift uh gruesome fate makes each opponent lose life equal to the number of creatures you control tyrant's choice usually makes people lose four life spicy uh yeah this is just like the place where i put all of the things that are like coal hauler swine like breath of malthagor that's where that's where i put cards that are going to just eat crazy damage at everyone's face to complement mm-hmm. the damage that I'm doing with the attacks and the damage I'm doing with Carter's trigger, just to try to burn people down real fast. Because I I did just talk about how I'm gonna try to not run out of gas. It's not a very reliable plan in this deck. You're gonna <laughs> run out of gas, uh, so you need to kill people quick. It's very aggressive aristocrats here. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Very uh,
0: aggressive. I
1: don't kill creatures. I just gently encourage them to attack elsewhere.
0: Kind of push them, push them in the other direction. Yeah, just give them a little nudge. A little nudge. Yeah, that's good. Yeah.
1: What have what? What's Liam got for us in the in the don't die yeah. department? Yeah, so are
0: you are you I'm
1: not dying? I'm looking at
2: the uh, show notes that I wrote, in, you know, three hours ago, and I'm reviewing my deck list, and I'm realizing at some point, uh, my death touch got cut from the deck. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna wing oh, no. uh, <laughs> not what I have written here. So <laughs> the deck does run Crypt Rats, which is a one power creature, and Pestilence. These do not tend to work very well with Shirei because Shirei is a too sure. toughness creature. Uh, and turns out, I need Shirei to be on the board as long as possible.
0: Yes, she also needs to yes. not die.
2: Uh, I do have the three enchantments that allow me to regenerate Shirei, which is very important for surviving things like Crypt Rats and Pestilence. Mm. Crypt Rats and Pestilence <laughs> as a whole, tend to be very last resort ish kind of things. Um, you know, I recognize I'm not going to win, so I'm going to deal as much damage as possible to everyone and everything before I go out. Love it. Or someone took out my Shirei loop. I'm now very angry. The board goes with it. Um, so it's, it's sounds,
0: that sounds very, yeah, uh,
2: it's very last resort. Ideally, uh, Crypt Rats and, and uh, pestilence also just eat removal, so that my other things don't eat removal. So that's also cool. That, that you know, a, a four mana kill this instead <laughs> of
0: yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Make yeah, this the exactly. target.
2: Um. So yeah, it's 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 interesting. The another way that I control the board is through resource denial, uh, as I mentioned above. Uh, I I tend to consider resource denial like discard effects. Kind of a mixture of control and card advantage. Uh, although I talked about it yeah, under pillar two sure. because my discard effects are tied specifically to my uh, ETB and LTB effects, which is why I just love that's, which is why I love having them in the deck so much. Is because they kind of fill all the roles. They fill control. They fill card advantage. They fill you know the the value I'm gaining. It just it it's it's beautiful. And then the last way that I control the board is life scares. As previously mentioned, I have Pestilence and Crypt Rats, which can just, you've made me very angry, take 10 damage.
0: Yeah. I take also this. have
2: Gary, uh, which does a lot of draining all at once, especially when you start looping him with eight other creatures on board. Because turns out, when, when devotion is, you know, nine or 10, Gary gets scary really fast, especially when people start realizing I'm looping him. Uh, right, and then draining other ways like uh, Falconrath Noble, uh, Cauldron Familiar, Serrated Scorpion—they're all in this deck. I make uh, some tokens. This was a, a recent kind of sub-theme added in. I'm not sure how much I like it. The reason they were added in is because my 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 big sack outlets. You know, I I was sacking a bunch of things to them to attack with them, but then because I can't sacrifice them to themselves because they have two power, they wouldn't come back they're kind of awkward being that tapped down on my board even though all my stuff comes back untapped it just it I, it felt wrong not having those creatures so i added in some token makers like nested yeah. shambler doom descent or searchlight companion things that made tokens when they came in or died to kind of
0: yeah and those, and those they, are good they, ones they are
2: good ones but to 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 kind of replace the tap down token makers and they are strictly there as blocking fodder uh or if if I if I yeah, have sure. another effect that uh, drains when a creature dies, uh, they don't really provide a, a ton of extra value to the deck, so I'm not really super sold on them. They're just kind of filling a, a small inconvenience, but not like an actual problem. Uh, and right. then I have my big creatures, my my big sack outlets or uh Scavenger. Yeah, pretty, pretty
0: straightforward. straightforward. I,
2: I like to I like to remove your hands and then lower your life total.
0: Of all the pillars. You've talked about for the Shire deck. I think so far, Pillar Four has been the most mono black. She, very, like the rest were like crazy, like stuff you wouldn't expect from mono black. But this one was very, very, and, very. And what very I black.
2: love about Shirei is it plays very much just like a, a mono black deck. Just as a whole, it doesn't really like Shi-Ray itself doesn't scream Aristocrats. Like you read it, and you're like, when when you think about it, you're like, what else am I really supposed to do with this beyond Aristocrats? And it's right. because. You know, you you can think, well, I could just run sixty one power creatures and just get a, get a bunch of value. It's like you could, but Shire is built to recur them, and that really plays into the Aristocrats really well. And I just like it doesn't scream Aristocrats, but I just don't know what else you would do with it. So that's why that's why yeah, I like because exactly. it, it doesn't like scream and push you one way, but it kind of guides
0: you. I think that's what good commanders do.
2: Yeah. So, uh, Brad, what about your yeah, pillar four?
0: My pillar four. Well. Cormella, this deck is a Grixis deck. And just like every Grixis deck, it's going to anger its opponents in the first three to five turns. It's going to really upset them a whole lot. Uh, This deck more so because it's just stealing all their stuff. And just like most Grixis decks I've ever played, you know, turns five to eight, it's going to struggle. It's going to struggle with mana problems. It's going to struggle with drawing cards, casting spells, that sort of thing, because everything gets a little clunky. So I've sort of built in... A strong but small control package because the idea is that stealing the creatures makes them no longer a threat. So I use those mid game turns to for things like arcane denial, you know, counterspell, anything to keep you off your resources, like you, Liam, you know, siphon mines, the virus beetles, skull rend. I want to try that one out, Tassiger's cruelty, like anything that can keep them from casting spells. Or if they happen to cast one, maybe I have a counterspell in hand. I have Is it Charm in there? Slum Reaper, Chain Devil, just anything that if I'm not stealing or I'm not attacking, I need to be controlling somehow, or this deck will just fall apart. Because like I said, it's Grixis, so I'm gonna piss some people off, and what happens? I'm gonna get mm-hmm. attacked. I don't have a lot of creatures, so if I'm not stealing your creatures, I'm gonna get attacked a lot for a lot of damage. So I need to be able to control those situations, and that's where this the counter magic comes into play. Uh, the mass. The, the table-wide sacrifice of creature effects come into play, and then I think I'm I'm really leaning pretty heavily on the hand disruption avenue there with, with the virus beetle, siphon syph- mine, skull rend, all that sort of stuff. So, uh, t- Tasker's cruelty can sort of come out of nowhere uh, and cripple your opponent, especially in the later game if they're having troubles too, so uh, that's pretty much my not die plan is hopefully i can just control it like i don't mind getting down to one life because i know i'm going to be attacked i know i'm going to be targeted i'm going to be a threat if if this deck works as it's designed to do but as long as i can stay you know one life or above i'm good and hopefully i can control that and make that happen so it's pretty straightforward pretty pretty grixis just um counter spells sacrifice effects some a little bit of direct damage through red but but not a whole lot there that's more for the the stealing effect so blue and black are going to have to be my my sort of control package and that's pretty much all i had for pillar four sounds like a really have anything else i
1: like i i feel like when your control strategy is just built into the aristocrats plan like the control Mm -hmm. is the aristocrats you're going to steal other people's creatures and then sacrifice them like that seems really fun to me i like that
0: I love it. Like these, these threaten effects or whatever you want to call them wrangle effects. They're some of my favorite cards, favorite strategies like ever in the game. I don't know why I love them so much, but they're just a blast. Like I can hardly ever win with them. But I feel like in a deck like this, having access to black for some of that power and having access to blue for some of the card draw and control spells, I th- I think it might work out. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how far I can take it. You know, I don't think it'll ever be like a CPDH deck or anything like that. But I think it would be it, it could be a force, I think, if if played correctly. Yeah,
1: it seems like a really good time. My before I settled on definitely talking about Carter in this episode, my my runner up, I was considering jury uh, the murder clown. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And uh, my jury deck leans heavily into a lot of those same themes. Like it's got I don't I don't think he runs all of the threatened effects, but I think he's got a solid like nine or ten just because.
0: Yeah, when I played um, with the Hex Drinkers last a week ago Monday, it <laughs> it was like the first iteration of the deck, so it was literally threatened tribal. Yeah. Like I had every single one that was printed at common yeah, in yeah. the deck, and it just. It kind of fell flat because after a while, that's all you're doing, yeah. and you kind of have to have some other sort of game plan, or you know, mm-hmm. you're just a a one trick pony, and and people figure you out. So yeah, uh, that's where I I cut I don't know half of them, maybe you know a third of them out of the deck, mm-hmm. put in some control magic. I put in the um combo, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, Mogwarts I think is a solid inclusion in there as well because it's uh you're you're already running a lot of the pieces that you would need for that. Mm-hmm. like the, exactly the that's sort of my rationale yeah
0: yeah yeah they're already there yep. so seems good yeah cormilla good but yeah i don't think i had too much casual wrap-up to talk about Cormella. what about what about y'all and y'all's decks uh
1: the only thing i could have potentially added was the fact that this is secretly a go wide tokens aggro deck but uh we've already yeah. talked about that i've i've mentioned raid bombardment my job here is done
0: yeah i like it i like it i like it I like each one of our decks for that aspect. Like, yeah, clearly we're, we're on the aristocrats plan, but you know, I have a major sub theme and Dave has a major sub theme of his tokens. And Liam has a major sub theme of just looping through the graveyard on every single turn, which is not something that people expect from mono black. Yeah. Like, like, you know, we, we weren't just like, Oh, here's, um, Mayhem like they, double expect, they expect and like, 40 creatures,
2: know, a, a, a few things to come back. But when, when you're like the first time it happens, Right, you catch everyone you catch the table off guard, you're like, Oh yeah, I sacrificed these eight creatures. And everyone's like, Okay, why? <laughs> and
0: you're
2: like, Oh, to draw a card and uh, you know, everyone discards a card and they're like, Oh, okay. Move to the beginning of the end step, all eight of them come back, six triggers go on the stack, and they're just like, yep. Okay, hold on. I get six like, ETBs. Yeah, I get six ETBs, and then like it's <laughs> the end step, and everyone's caught like dealing the headlights and they you know, everyone reads the commando and they're just like, This is going to happen every end step. This is a problem. Uh-huh. and usually I get a solid tone cycle or two before there's an answer and that's all it takes if the engine is set up that is yeah. all it takes so yeah yep. I, I think people who may be interested in Shi-ray you know my list is tuned very specifically for edh uh yeah, i i play a lot of my uh pdh legendaries at edh tables because it's just what my friends play so mine's tuned specifically for that if you're looking to build this commando. It's definitely a good jumping-off point, but I would definitely make uh, some specific changes that I that I previously mentioned to make it better suited for Pdh.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, once again, looks like um, we can move on from the main topic. But Liam killed it with the listener questions on uh, from the social webs from the inter intermedias this week. Yeah. Why, why don't you take the first yeah. one?
2: Okay. So uh, all of our questions come from Twitter this week, and I promise to eventually reach out on some of the Discord channels as well but our first uh, question this week is from a user named Celtic Majora they asked what are your strategies for building monocolor pdH decks for the for the five mono-colors? Uh for context they've found mono blue to play uh pretty good but struggled with constructing anything viable for red and so alc I know you wrote a lot about this and Brad and I mm-hmm. were kind of lacking because you took a lot of the good points. <laughs> um, so <laughs> why don't you just go ahead and uh, tell the listeners how, how we would
1: all approach red and green specifically. Sure. Well, I, I actually want to start with how you should build a mono-black deck. Uh, and the I'm starting with this because the answer is Shirei, uh, the end. <laughs>
0: huh. Let's talk about... What, where you got that from?
1: Yeah, one of my friends is into Shirei. Uh, you probably didn't oh, know nice. Um, okay. Uh, I feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna do a tiny bit of like armchair diagnostics here. If you're telling me that you're you're good with mono blue, but you're struggling with red and green, uh, I think what I'm hearing here is that you are struggling with pillar three, which is keep don't run out of gas. Keep your deck relevant in the late game, because that's that's yes. the thing that blue does better than red and green by a, a catastrophic margin. Is just draw sure. draw these cards, so. Um, this is, this is my, my basic suggestion, not knowing anything else about your decks or what you play, is, uh, make sure that you are making card draw and, like, not necessarily card draw, but you're making sure this, this idea that you don't run out of gas, that you hit the late game and still have relevant plays and impactful things to do, uh, make that a priority when you're building red and green. For red, my strategy for this is to really go hard on the card selection spells like thrill of possibility tormenting voice cathartic reunion these aren't card advantage because you're you're losing exactly as many cards as you're gaining but you can turn them into card advantage by making sure that you're utilizing the cards that get discarded by either doing a lot of madness or some flashback or like you know if you're discarding lands rock a Scaretiller in there
0: yeah heck yeah goes S- in every deck
1: Scare-tillers. Yeah. Yeah. Put scareteller in your mono red deck and, with with all the fetch lands you can. And, like this is this sounds like a meme, but I'm dead serious.
2: And adding on yep. to those uh yeah. those spells that you mentioned there for mono red, uh, don't forget, uh, reckless impulse and galvanic relay from the last yes. year. They're
1: insane. Yeah. yeah. The
0: even the synth- synthesizer. Yeah. The to, experimental you know, if you're synthesizer
1: on. from Kamigawa. S- yeah. Synthesizers. Th- synthesizer. You have to. You have to be a little careful with the synthesizer,
0: yeah, but, you have to build for it, like you have to your deck has to be able to use it properly
1: it has to use it properly, you also have to time it right,
0: like yeah, that's, I a saw, big, that's a big thing.
1: I watched a lot of people get really excited about this card, and then at the pre release, they go turn one mountain, oh, this is the card I was excited about synthesizer. I exile the top card of my
0: Oh, oh look. <laughs> I can't play it. I can't it. play I just it. Lost the card. <laughs> right?
1: like I'll just leave this in exile. Like be smart about your experimental synthesizers, please. Like this is not a turn 1 play. This is like a turn 5 play where you have plenty of spare mana and nothing else to do.
0: Yeah, with but, a low curve deck.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh so yeah, the synthesizer, the impulse draw we have in red is is getting much much better. So I'm I'm starting to integrate that into the mono red as well. If you're not even in red like the way that you get card advantage is by like trying to focus on spells that you can play twice like adventure, buyback, flashback, retrace. Just anything that will keep you relevant in the late game should be uh, like a priority in your deck design. Yep. Yep. For green, my strategy for staying relevant in the late game is to try and find green doesn't have the card draw, but green has a lot of card I call these digging cards, where you're going to look at the top four, five, six, whatever, and then put some of them into your hand. And there are a few of these that will put multiple cards into your hand, and then that becomes card advantage. Uh, so things like lead the stampede in a creature-heavy deck. Uh, gift of the Gargantua should always be getting you a creature and a land. In my enchantment decks, I rock uh, the crew fixes thing. Crew fixes insight uh-huh winding way can be incredible for things like this so yeah there's a there's a flashback one now called tapping at the window which is it's a bit more of a gamble because you only look at the top three but then yeah uh but it, it has flashbacks you can do that tw-
0: but it's reusable yep so yeah the one that's always interest me interested me as a mono green commander's armor craft judge yeah mm-hmm. that guy's got I, card know, I know it has to be yeah i know it has to be built in a very specific way you know yeah but it ETBs and draws a card for each creature you control with a plus one, plus one counter on it. Like that seems like something green would be really good at doing, but because I've never heard anyone talk about it and I've never played against an armorcraft judge list, I have a feeling it's not very good
1: i i think that it is very good i think that it's just very linear like
0: okay. the reason i that haven't built
1: it yet is because i i cannot imagine building and playing this deck and then having it like surprise
0: me no, so that's a good point like
1: yeah. I, I think it's i think i think once you see the card armorcraft judge you you have a pretty clear idea of exactly how the game is going to go and like i i'd rather yeah. <laughs> i like things to be a little more uh unpredictable than that
0: a little loosey-goosey
1: yeah um yeah, that makes sense. Speaking of commanders, uh, I was going to wrap this up by proposing a couple commanders that I, if you're struggling with red and green, the commanders that I challenge you to build are Briar Bridge Patrol for green. We'll do a lot of fighting and investigating and then playing bodies for free. Mm-hmm. And uh, in red, uh, the, the really cool card that I think you should try is called Blood Boil Sorcerer. Like, as long as we're talking about aristocrats as thieving i think blood boil sorcerer has has really powerful stuff you can do with it and it'll it'll kind of sort of help you out in the card advantage department as well with uh the initiative Mm -hmm. so those are my suggestions there and that is my my answer to celtic majora
0: i think that is fantastic fantastic answer there's honestly nothing i could add to that like I don't brew a lot of monocolored decks, and I definitely don't play a lot of monocolored decks in PDH, so I think you nailed it. Uh, thank you. you know, all, all my monocolored experience comes from formats where I can have four of a single card. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you know, I, I don't have to worry about not drawing them or not being able to use them on time or what have you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, hell of an answer. All
2: right. Our next question comes from user Big B 44100 they want to know what we want from Brothers War. So, Brad, quick one-liner. What do you want from Brothers War?
0: One-liner. I don't know anything about the lore, so I'm not gonna get into that whole thing. But I feel like I want big, giant battle cruiser magic to come back. Like huge creatures, Godzilla style. Just whammo, kablammo spells. You know, j- you know, eight mana spells. People slinging them across the table at each other. Just huge magic, like. That's sort of a callback to like mid '90s Magic when everything, every creature was huge and cost was overly costed, and you were just bashing each other's face in, and it was it was amazing. Yeah. You know, I want a lot of that, and I want less one mana artifacts that break eternal formats.
1: What I'm hearing is Colossus of Sarnia downshift. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sure, good, gimme. All right, Dave, you got you got yeah. uh, two lines because that's what Brad used. What are you What are you looking for? <laughs> I so the thing. The thing I associate with the Brothers War, and I guess specifically the set Antiquities, the, the cards that are super incredibly nostalgic to me are Yoetian Soldier, Clay Statue, and Dragon Engine. And a huge part of the nostalgia embedded in these cards is that when I was 10, playing Magic in 95, like these were artifacts, they went into all my decks, and they mm-hmm. had... Really cool flavor text about the kinds of battles Urza and Mishra were fighting against yes. each other.
0: Yes, and it, it it opened up the history of the world it, of the Magic it world. It
1: Did it's like Amulet of Krug did as well, but Amulet of Krug is a garbage card. <laughs> that no one should talk about it. Right, <laughs> Yuushin Soldier, Clay Statue, Dragon Engine. These are the cards that I was like really fascinated by as a kid. So like I would love to see like new versions of this same kind of artifact. Like yeah, like I want. I want a Yuesian veteran who is like clearly the same kind of construct, but like better or like older or bigger. Or like I mm-hmm. want like the clay statue lieutenant uh, yeah, right. or like a an <laughs> out of control dragon engine or something like a dragon engine that's gone rogue. Like I just want I want new versions of these same yep. things at common.
0: Yep. And you notice I put dragon engine in bold yep. italic and underlined because <laughs> yeah. I am 100% with you.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we, we've we gotten a tiny bit of this. Like, we we got Traxos, I think. We got a named Dragon Engine in the Dominaria set, which is like a 7-7 seven, seven legendary. Traxos. Uh, yeah. The, the Scourge of Krug, I think his name is. Traxos, maybe. But yeah, so, like, we've gotten a tiny little bit of this with the Dragon Engine specifically, and it was great. I I want more of that and that common.
0: Yep. I'm with you. What about you, Liam? What do you want from the Bros War? Personally,
2: I... Uh... Ideally, I'm looking for the abolishment of the resolve list. <laughs> only <laughs> because swinging the, for the fences. only because uh, Mightstone and Weakstone are on it. And though the reason for the brothers war in the first place, uh, I I would accept.
0: Oh, that's just I would accept perfect.
2: just these two cards being removed. I mean, the proper legal the like, Mightstone is amazing. Weakstone is questionable. But like though the whole reason for the brothers war. So I'm kind of curious how they're going to tie those two artifacts into the set. I'm imagining probably rare mm-hmm. legendary artifacts which would blow because the originals were calm. probably. But right. but yeah, so, you know, the, you know, just remove those two little cards. it will be fine. Realistically,
1: I want a new ornithopter artwork. That's it.
0: Okay. Yeah. I think that's fair. Very easily easily done.
1: I I would I would be shocked if this set didn't have an ornithopter
2: uh, our next question comes uh, yet again from Scooby Drew on Twitter. They said what are some fun legendary cards that can be built for PDH and EDH? They've been going to LGS for Commander Knight, and while people are cool letting them rule zero any uncommon, they recently built a Rami and it has been a good bridge, especially post-game, telling them it's an all-common deck. So That's a good feeling, in right? My personal experience. Because I do this a lot. If you're using PDH decks in an EDH pod, most competitive PDH decks can tango pretty well with the current pre-con or the slight upgrade levels in the power. Uh, so, you know, everyone jokes like, oh, I'm a power level 7. Putting all that aside, right, when you're talking power levels, CPDH tends to be pr- pretty on par with slightly upgraded precons that are coming out today. I would recommend just taking a look at the uh, CPDH uh, decklist database uh, and just finding legends on that list and seeing what really uh, vibes with you. But here's a really short list that I'm going to go through really quick. Kedison Malcolm, which is an it control and freed from the real combo deck. Ghost of Ramirez uh, De Pietro and uh, Tormod. Uh, partners again, uh, the Demir Control with uh, Tordex Combo, uh, Tortured Existence Combo. Sir Conrad, Mono Black Graveyard Shenanigans. He does the same stuff at Papa that he does in in EDH, just a little just a little powered down. Mm-hmm. Twenty eighteen Tatiova, not not the new one, whatever whatever Wizards was thinking there, right. but uh the, the one that's uh Simic Lands <laughs> value and uh, Drake Combo. Zada for Mono Red copy spells with a uh, proactive approach. And the honorable mention for this list, only because they're still new and people are still figuring them out. But I saw a lot about them this week. Abdel uh, Gorian's wood, plus your favorite color. Um, This deck is
0: yeah. Plus your favorite background. This deck
2: is just mid range combo. Uh, Specifically, I would recommend Iron Throne for the uh, the white black deck. Agent of the Iron Throne, I think, is the official background title, but. I mean, abdel plus your favorite color will do just
0: fine you know what i learned is an amazing card in zada and i think papa Popper has been testing it out or he submitted a deck with it is kick in the door
1: yes. yeah buddy yeah
0: holy <laughs> christ i'll venture six times yeah. yeah i'll just complete a dungeon this combat step that's fine 100 No be fine. Wow. Yeah, Um, I just I just learned that like or I just you know heard about that like a week or so ago. (laughs) That's awesome. Zada
1: Zada does some very cool stuff. I I love Zada.
0: Anyway, not to derail Did y'all
2: have uh, any other recommendations for legends that you would
1: try out? I have very little to add to this because I think Liam's answer is very thorough and very experiential, like
0: effective he's, yeah
1: he, he's been there he knows this scene this is this is the man to listen to yeah i do not actively have all of these decks
2: built right now but i have played all of these decks i've had them all at one point uh i think right yeah, now i have good. conrad and tatiova but like these decks will yeah. tango very well with an EDH pod, no questions asked.
0: And I think your little your your list, just your small sample size, I think is perfect. You know, yeah. OG Tatiova, Zada Tormod Kedis right. Malcolm. Yeah, it's perfect for an EDH yeah. Uh, table.
2: Yeah, and, and um, honestly, if you only... if you build a couple of them, pr- propose a pod of just four of these decks, people can pick from the other six on this list. Throw a Rami into the mix. Yeah. And people will be surprised at just the power level. Yeah.
0: You know, and if you're not sure to hit the tier list up that we talked with Crash about, there's bound to be a deck on there or a commander on there you'd like to build. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they're all very yeah, competitive. Yeah, 100%. I
2: did not include
1: all the legends that are on that database. You
2: should absolutely go right, check it right.
1: out. The only quick things that I want to add to this answer are that uh, Ara- Araumi is incredible. Yes. I personally have not taken Bird Horse into any EDH games. I was kind of. <laughs> done with the edh scene entirely by the time i built bird horse but i've heard mm-hmm. stories of people who have built my bird horse list and then taken it to edh games and been very successful they say that it works pretty well there bird horse uh, and edh th- is rough let alone just yeah? pdh <laughs> yeah, yeah like i'm uh, talking so like bird the, horse means
2: yeah i'm talking like the edh lists that have like rails in them they
1: are oh yeah top. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah they're, it's a it's awesome it's a crazy combo so that's that would be s euro plus kelleth and then um, the last thing that I want to add to this discussion is that uh, Liam says, "Bring Abdel plus your favorite color." I think probably the best thing to pair with Abdel is Candlekeep Sage, which is it probably is, yeah. Deeply frustrating because <laughs> Abdel plus Candlekeep is a legal EDH deck, but not a legal <laughs> PDH deck because your commander is too common and i'm mad about it
0: (laughs) i'm mad about it
1: (laughs) that's that's all i wanted to add yeah all right
0: all right we'll get on to the last question
1: last question i got it sure then go for
0: it it is from at easy mode magic they want to know what's the best artifact combo pdh commander pretty straightforward question i know my answer because i've have it built in paper it is crazy so I have my answer, but I have not really seen or played with too many other ones. What do you got, Dave? Uh,
1: I, I have no idea what your answer is, so I'm curious about that. But my my off-the-top-of-my-head answer would be uh, it kind of depends a little bit on what artifact combo you want to run. Sure. The two that I know of are Knack combo, where you put Knack on a creature that untaps when an artifact happens, and then you recast like a zero-mana artifact a lot of the time and like try to kill with a reckless Fireweaver. Uh, mm-hmm. and the other combo line I know is uh, Ashnod's Alter, Mirror Retriever, Workshop Assistant, and some way to reduce their cost. So both of those combos are sort of uh facilitated by the Is It guys, like Herald of Kozalek and there's a there's a there's a little flying goblin in the new kamigawa set neon dynasty that also just makes your artifacts cost one less and i've forgotten her name oh, mechanist oh, uh, enthusiast Mech-naught Mech-naught. Yeah. yeah there it is that's the one um so enthusiast yeah. yep yes the enthusiast so both of those cards will sort of they could be the artifact reducer you need for alter assistant retriever to go mana positive or they could be the mana reducer you need so that you can knack loop a one mana artifact instead of having to use a zero mana artifact. So th- right. there's, there's stuff you can do there. Sphinx Summoner is a great commander if you really want to focus on the... Uh, I, guess, I guess Sphinx Summoner could tutor for parts of either combo. I think it tutors better for the Retriever combo because a lot of those pieces are creatures. Mm-hmm. I think the only I think the only piece it tutors for in the nat combo is battered golem, which is not great. Uh, the problem with trying to combo with sphinx <laughs> summoner is that it's very very telegraphed. Like when you when you combo for the retriever. And then next turn, or sorry, when you tutor for a retriever and the next turn you tutor for a workshop assistant, everyone's going to be like, oh, he's got Ashnod's altar in his hand. Let's beat him to death. Right. Like, <laughs> uh, you're you're telling everyone exactly what the plan is in your combo deck. Like, uh, maybe not. Maybe that doesn't yeah, work. I don't exactly. know. Exactly. The only other one that even kind of came to mind was Aether Sworn Sphinx, which to me, in my heart of hearts, is just a beatdown deck, but I know some people who have built combos into it.
0: Yeah, for sure. That is... That is it's, go ahead. No, it, it, Aether Sworn Sphinx is towing the line of being busted. Yeah. It's, so you, can, you can do a lot of stuff with it.
1: It's right on the edge. I have it built yeah. as just a fat creatures. <laughs> sure, deck.
0: that's how I would build it too. Yeah. But yeah, no, th- my answer was going to be Composite Golem. That's the first artifact commander, combo commander I learned about. So I built it right away. And it's one of those, it's five colors. It, you know, its identity is wooberg technically. So it can really open up any combo you want. Like if you particularly love Mogworts, you know, build that in there. If you love the Banishing Neck, build that in there. The one I have built is just generate a huge amount of mana by sacrificing composite golem, bringing him back, and then just fireballing the table, pretty much. <laughs> it's just one spell combo. I love it. Uh, but you can build it any way you want, really. Any combo you can think of, you can jam it in there. It's five colors, make it happen, pretty much. I don't, you know. It, I just pulled it up while while Dave was given his choices. There's six or eight different composite golem decks on Moxfield for Pdh, and none of them are the same. One of them is slivers. One of them is combo. One of them is storm. Like. You can go any direction you want to with it. So I like that one, but but yeah, I think there are more focused ones, kind of like what Dave was talking about with with the Sphinx and the Summoner and that sort of thing. But as far as being a blank canvas to build whatever combo you want, I think Composite Golem is, is pretty good.
2: I like how Composite Golem in PDH right now is where
1: chromat was in edh for the better part of a decade <laughs> yeah buddy nice <laughs> can, can i tell you about my composite golem combo list yes I've, please do i've never put this was, together I, what go ahead i
0: talked about how i have it built in paper and i can't totally remember how it works so yes please, please I, tell me about yours
1: i i haven't built this in paper because it is profoundly stupid but like my favorite <laughs> potential combo here is that To cast Composite Golem from your hand costs 6 mana. And then you can sacrifice it for 5. And -hmm. then if you cast Buried Alive with its buyback cost, that's another 5 mana. So you can, as it stands, you can spend 11 mana to gain Uh 5. Which means if you can come up with 7 mana worth of cost reducers from things like Goblin Electromancer or... Sunscape Familiar or cross yes. and Drover. Yep. Uh if you can if you can get seven total mana reduction off of this thing, then you're mana positive by looping Composite Golem with buried alive. <laughs> and that is the stupidest combo I can possibly imagine. So of course I designed that deck. And I never put it together, yes. but uh I don't think it would ever work. Like
0: hey, you would combo once good.
1: you'd loop it once, and people would be like, oh, so I just have to bolt the cross and drover and this stops and you'd be like yeah
0: (laughs) yeah kind of (laughs) sort of and then you lose (laughs) yeah uh
1: it's fun though it's fun to think about
0: oh nice nice that sounds fun all right well that wraps it up for the questions this week be sure to get them in for next week every week actually we'll probably do some gigantic listener q a episode here in the future but yeah, we like doing them every week. If you want to shout us out there on the on the Discord, on Twitters, Reddit, wherever wherever you can find us, to start shooting us some questions, email that sort of thing.
1: Find me in the street um, I and think, yell it at me.
0: Yeah, that works. Yep, write I'll, it down, lot write it up, throw it at him. That's true. It's true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we do have a few more things to go over. One pretty awesome thing. Uh, but in the meantime, if you need more pauper commander talk, have any questions about that, aristocrats advice, that sort of thing. And you want to talk with us about it, you can email the show at the at at gmail.com. You can head over to PDH home Base's website. That'll take you to their discord server, or you can find Liam, Liam and I on Twitter at pauper command and pauper underscore B respectively. And as always, you can find Dave as the Alcadron just about anywhere else PDH is being talked about. All these links will be down in the details. But first, there's some uh, pretty awesome little event going on. Liam, you want to tell the tell the nice folks about it?
2: Yeah. Uh, so there is a Rags to Riches PDH tournament hosted by a, a guy named Dallas, Gilded Adonis on Twitter. Uh, this event is located at Queen and Rook Games in Philadelphia, PA. Uh, it is October twenty third. Starts at noon local time. Ten dollar entry fee. Up to three hundred fifty in prizes. The top table splits a set of the forty k EDH decks. This is awesome. That's awesome. This is, I think, the first official uh, stateside P D H event that I've seen. And yeah,
0: it's the only one I know and of. Yeah. Y'all
2: should go to this and fill it up because I'm 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 a little busy that weekend. But I want them to do it again. So y'all should Yeah,
0: yeah, this one needs this one needs to fill up so they'll do more of this. I mean, not even necessarily
2: <laughs> fill up, but it needs to do well. Um so yeah. please, uh if if you're even remotely close to this, go to it and yep. show your support.
0: It's only ten bucks. Yeah, that's awesome. That is that yeah. is great. I was hoping that we'd get some more um because PDH has really been on the rise like the last I don't know, 16, 18 months, something like that. So it was only a matter of time before we started doing or started seeing paper events. It's just, it's it's exciting that it's, it's finally happened. And Dallas Walker Nash, as he goes by sometimes gilded Adonis on Twitter. He's been on the Saturday uh, streams, the Twitch streams. Great guy. Loves PDH. Um, I think it's, I believe it's his shop. I think he owns that shop. Maybe I'm mistaken. Sorry. Um, Yeah. Misinformed. There we go. But yeah, great guy. Looks like a great event. So y'all should go. How far is that from, from you guys?
1: Uh, Philly? It's probably six hours, five hours.
0: Is it? It's a two-hour
2: drive. I would totally make it if I wasn't busy.
0: Yeah, sure, sure, sure. But yeah, that's awesome. Let's hope they do uh, more of these in the future. So, yeah, I definitely would see updates about it, pictures, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, unless you guys had anything else to add, I was going to hit the outro and, and get us get us going here. I've
1: said all that I needed to say.
0: <laughs> I have as well. All right. Okay, well, as episode 17 of the PDH pod comes to a close, we want to give a big thanks, as always, to MTG Brad for letting us use their original music for the show. And from everyone in here to everyone out there, brew a deck, sack some chumps, get them gains. And we'll see you in about a week. Peace. Cheers. See you.